Thank you for coming Thank you for coming out. Welcome. My name is Dubs Weinblatt. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I'm so excited to be here. In 2015, I founded the Queer Improv Show. Thank you for coming out, or TIFCO as we call it, and it is now one of the longest-running queer improv shows in New York City. During the show, our storytellers share their coming out stories, and then our improvisers bring them to life. Our podcast is a little different. We still have a storyteller share their stories, but instead of folks improvising, we talk about them. And this particular episode is different because we were recording during the COVID-19 pandemic while physically distancing, which means we're not in the studio together and we're using Zoom audio. So the quality might be a little bit different than what you're used to, but we're all just doing the best we can with what we have. And I'm so excited about our guest here with us today. Ellie Bell, she, he, they, is a trans journalist and writer who lives and works in Brooklyn, where she's the borough's primary pun enthusiast. She has a passion for advocacy, culture, and media, and with a focus on bringing stories to restorative justice and healing to the spotlight. Her words can be found in outlets including Teen Vogue, Playboy, Bitch Media, Refinery29, Thrillist, InStyle, The Observer, Publishers Weekly, Bust Magazine, and more. Follow her on Twitter, and I will put um, Ellie's Twitter handle in uh, all the show notes, which I said show notes, but I don't even think we have show notes. Anyways, Ellie, Welcome. <laughs> Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Yes, I'm so excited too. How are you doing? Um, like I said, <laughs> I'm doing about as well as anyone can be doing during a pandemic. I also have like a lot of non-pandemic related stuff going on in my life. Um, but I am doing, I am really, really well today. That's great. I'm so happy to hear that. And it looks like you have a lot of sun, sunshine in your, in your space, which looks nice. I have a lot of sunshine. I have two huge windows. I'm actually moving out of this apartment um, in the next two weeks, but um, that'll that'll be fun. But uh, lots lots of good sunshine here for now in Brooklyn. Yeah, and are you staying in Brooklyn? Yeah, I'm staying in Brooklyn. Um, just have some life circumstances that uh, make it good for me, make it necessary for me to move. Um, but I'll probably be around the same neighborhood or area of Brooklyn I just need to not be at this apartment <laughs> yeah that's very real well I'm glad that you you found a space and that you're gonna take care of what you need to take care of thank you yeah you're welcome so um we all have multiple coming out stories and so I would love for you to share one of yours with us okay I'm not really sure like I've been thinking about it and I'm not really sure which to share because I'm sure like, as you know, and as listeners probably know, coming out is not this like monolithic one time experience. It happens all the time. You know, you can come out uh, as a certain sexuality and then come out again as a different sexuality and then come out again as a different gender. And like, there's so many things. Um, But I would say that my coming out as a trans person was a lot better (laughs) than my coming out as just like queer or as like I first came out as bi, bisexual in high school. Then I came out as lesbian and then I went back and forth between a few different things until I just settled 
school and queer finally. Um, but it was a really rough time when I came out as queer. Um, I was not uh, treated very well, even by people who I loved and who like claimed to love me. But when I came out as trans, um, it was last year, I think it was like, well, publicly, it was last year at the beginning of 2020 in like January or February. Um, I don't even really remember kind of the circumstances. I, I know that I did it on Twitter. I basically just made a post. I tweeted that, um, you know, some people probably had been able to tell by different pronouns I had been using or different like language I had used, but that I am trans and I'm non-binary and that I'm not a woman. Um, and it was, I mean, that was my public coming out, although I had been out to like a handful of friends, some, some trans, some cis for years. Um, there had been some people in my life who I trusted because they were also trans and um, I was doing, I was doing like writing on trans issues and journalism on trans issues. And um, so I obviously disclosed to them why I was doing that because I didn't want it to seem like I was just a cis person taking up that space. Um, but so, yeah, so I was already out to some people. I had had a few friends who I had talked about it with. Um and had kind of like gone to for advice, some friends who were uh, presenting as uh, like non-binary then, and you know, later transition in, in some other way, but who were trans or trans. And when I had my non-public coming out, I just remember it was like, it was like summer of 2019 maybe. And I had been grappling with this my entire life, um, like literally my entire life. I mean, I talk about this with friends and like partners. Um, I just remember like my whole life, especially when I was a kid, just thinking about gender all the time. Like it would be preschool and I would be supposed to be like going down for nap time. And I would be like thinking about gender and thinking <laughs> about like the colors pink and blue and like gender constructs and stuff. And I would just be thinking like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, why is everyone obsessed with this? I don't understand it. Um, you know, I like remember when I was a kid um, and also in like, you know, similarly preschool, kindergarten, I would, I would be hanging out with other like girls and we would be talking about colors and I'd be like, well, I really like the color blue and like blue Gatorade is my favorite. And I like this cause it's blue and that cause it's blue and the earth is blue and water's blue. And I just really like blue. And I remember these girls being like, you can't like that. That's a boy's color. And I was mm. like, well, maybe I'm a boy then. And they were like, what are you saying? Mm. So I just like, remember that kind of stuff. And I remember like always wanting to hang out with the boys and um being like quote unquote attracted to a lot of men a lot of like boys and men growing up that I later realized like oh I didn't <laughs> I didn't want I didn't like you I just wanted to like look exactly like you you know I wanted to like dress like that but um you know yeah. so I been this is something I've been thinking about like my entire life which you know is not um I think there's this pervasive narrative that if you're trans, you've always known. And that's true for some people and it's not for others. 
Um, for me, it's definitely true. Uh, you know, I just, I, it's something that I have been really cognizant of my whole life. And, um, because of many reasons, you know, tried to push down, but so it was summer 2019 when it was one of the first times that I like was saying it out loud to people who like, for example, um, aren't in media and I hadn't like quote unquote owed an explanation to prior to then. And I think the first time that I came out maybe was like 2016 or 2017 to a friend who ended up being drunk and did not even remember it later. Oh, no. I was like, okay, well, um, <laughs> but then, it, yeah, then in summer 2019, um, I talked to my friend Lucy, who is a trans woman. She works in media. She's an editor at Teen Vogue. Um, we were at the socialism conference in Chicago and I can't remember what we were talking about or what was happening, but we were sitting at a bar in a hotel. Um, and we were talking about like dating and I think I was getting dating advice from her and, um, she, I don't know. She said something to me about like cis people. And I think I just like reached my limit of being able to not say anything. Um, and I'd had a lot of doubts about like, well, can I really call myself trans because I don't feel like I'm as trans as like this trans person I know or this trans person I know. Um, you know, I think it's like a very internalized, I know it's a very internalized conception of being trans that like there is some kind of hierarchy and like while there are trans people who are more marginalized or harmed or at risk or abused by systems like you know black trans people or indigenous trans people or 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 whatever and there's like trans misogyny and all these things like there's no hierarchy there's no like oh that person is more trans <laughs> than I am which I know now and understand now but I think it's also taken a lot of like being friends with a lot of trans people and a lot of different experiences to fully internalize that more but so I think I just reached this limit of being able to hold it in anymore and I think I just said something to her like look like I'm gonna say this to you because I trust you I'm not cis and it's really hard for me to say this. Um, but yeah, I'm not cis. Like I'm trans and I'm non-binary and I'm figuring things out. And yeah, I don't know. I think I just said something like that. And she was just kind of like, oh, okay. Well, thank you for telling me. And we just kind of like moved on in the conversation, which was nice, definitely, because it's never <laughs> that way with cis people. It's like mm -hmm. they're have all these questions and demands and they're like well this doesn't make sense or why do you still use this word and I'm like oh my god please leave me alone um and then I remember there was another conversation that I'd had um similarly <laughs> at a bar in another state that I'm not from which is funny <laughs> to me because I like don't really drink and I wasn't drinking either of these times like I was just with people who were like eating food at a bar um, but I was similarly in February, 2019, I think. So before the, the time that I came out to Lucy, I was with my friend, Diana Torje, who's a trans um, woman um, journalist who is incredible. She does incredible work. Um, 
and she was like one of the first people who really gave me confidence and like talked me through stuff and um you know we'd spent a lot of time together and we were sitting at this bar in Tulsa Oklahoma (laughs) we were on a press trip together in Tulsa Oklahoma and um (laughs) And I can't remember how it started. I just remember that we were sitting at this bar and I started talking about gender and I was like, I feel like I can't come out. Like, I just feel like I'm taking space away from other trans people. And I'm just really scared. I'm scared that like people are gonna misgender me and I'm not gonna like even friends that I love cause it's human and they're just gonna fuck up and I'm not gonna be able to stand up for myself. And it's going to really hurt me that I'm not able to do that because I'm so good about standing up for other people. And I don't know if I can deal with not being able to stand up for myself. Um, and she just, I don't, I don't really remember the exact advice that she gave me. I don't, I don't think it's as important as just like the feeling that she instilled in me that I deserved to come out and I deserved to like live fully as who I am um and it was just really like I just remember she was like we were she she was having a drink and we were just like talking and then we went outside and she was smoking a cigarette and she just like she's not a very like um like huggy touchy person but she like put her hand on my shoulder and she was like smoking a cigarette and she's like so glamorous she's like the (laughs) most glamorous woman ever um and she just like puts her hand on my shoulder and she's like, you deserve to do whatever you need to do for yourself. And it's okay if you need time to figure that out. Um, and I did start coming out to more people like several months later and then within like literally the next year publicly. Um, so yeah, I mean, publicly I came out on Twitter and in, in like February and then I realized that I'm just constantly having to come out to people that I meet or people who know me and still think like I'm a woman and I have to come out to them and it's exhausting and hard but um I really think that it was just like incredible my experiences talking to other trans people who helped me talk through so much and like affirmed me and you know didn't give me any long lectures and nothing like that they just told me like you (laughs) you deserve to like be who you are and you are are a person who's like so good at showing up for other people and you've always been a person who's been like a great like ally to trans people and and other queer people that like you have so much community love and support like there are going to be people who are like in your corner and who are behind you and I think I just really needed to hear that um so it was a much different and better and, and positive and more hopeful experience than my coming out as just like queer the first time. Um, yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing. Lots of um, really important things that you brought into the conversation that I'm excited to talk to you about. Um, the first thing that kind of like sticks out to me is this um preschool nap time (laughs) and like (laughs) using it as a time to like interrogate gender norms and stereotypes um I just wrote a piece for uh a website called hey Alma which like Alma so much yeah I mean with Molly and I've worked with Molly oh very cool nice um 
But so I like the opening is a is like a memory of me in preschool playing with my friends who happened to be boys. And we were like sitting in chairs, like flipped around. So like, you know what I mean? Like straddling it. And we were pretending that they were motorcycles. And my teacher said to me, little girls don't sit that way. And like being confused because I was like, I'm not that. But like, even if I was why can't I, but they can. And like, just so confusing. And I was three moments like that as a kid that I didn't know how to articulate because someone would say something about me being like a girl. And I would just, my brain would go, but I'm not like, I'm a human being. (laughs) Yeah. Same. And I think, so for me, like I also have like known forever, um, which is my particular narrative. And you're right. Like that's not everyone's narrative. Um, but I also knew that I was queer, like my sexual orientation was queer also. And so I didn't, at that point, I didn't know that your gender identity could be something different. And so every kind of like interaction that I had that I felt like uncomfortable and I was like, oh, it's because I'm attracted to women. And then looking back, I'm like, nope, it's mostly because of your gender identity. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I relate to that so much. Yeah. Um, I was, uh, I interviewed Glennon Doyle. Do you know who Glennon Doyle is? I love Glennon Doyle. I'm reading Glennon Doyle's memoir right now. Oh, it's so incredible. Life-changing. Um, so when she came on the podcast, we had this conversation about, um, like the, the narrative that people think of queer people of like you, you're born this way and that you are have always known um which leaves out the people who didn't know until they were older just like how how that was for glennon um and she shared that uh she had a conversation with her friend brandy carlisle um about the idea which is which i i'll say it and then so um that people use the the narrative of I was born this way as like a mechanism of safety. Like I didn't choose it. I'm born this way. So like I need deserve equal rights because I didn't have a choice in it, which yes, yes. And to me, and we talked about it on this interview is like, it's also like inherently transphobic and homophobic to like, who cares if I chose it or not? Like, that's my, it's my body, my choice, my identity, my choice. And so what's wrong with choosing, what would be the wrong thing about choosing to be this different identity? You know what I mean? And so it's just, it gets very complicated and there's never just a like one right way to think about things. Um, I'm curious what you think about that. Yeah. I've actually written about this for a few articles. Mm. I think I think the last time I wrote about it was maybe whenever Amy Coney Barrett was being confirmed to the Senate. Woof. She used some like uh, like dog whistles kind of um, like homophobic transphobic dog whistles and said something said something about like I can't remember what it was I've repressed it but something about like cho- choosing your sexuality or something um, but yeah I mean I agree I understand why many people use that logic, but like for safety or otherwise, but at the same time, I agree with what you're saying, like, yes, and also not like, that's not why 
queer and trans people deserve rights and respect and like kindness and support, it's because we're human beings. Totally. Everybody deserves that. And also on another level, um, like some, like, so um, I have, I don't know if I would call her a friend. I don't want to like call her friend and then have her be like, we're not friends, but someone I know, um, who is a, uh, a queer trans therapist who I have interviewed a few times for various articles that I've written. She's a really awesome person. Her name is Alex Jenny, the drag therapist on Instagram. Um, she's incredible. She's so, so, so smart and so hot. I'm like very intimidated by her. Um, she, uh, I feel like has educated me a lot recently on why it's harmful to use the terms AFAB and AMAB um, and why it is important to like cut that out of our vocabulary and, and transition into like using different language. Um, and it's really interesting to me because I kind of, I like hadn't thought about it that before that way before, but um, she brought up like things on her Instagram, I think, recently like this week about um about like uh I can't think of the word um when you're born intersex Hmm. um and things like that and how you know sometimes like you do end up being trans and sometimes you don't and just like all of this like bodily autonomy stuff and, and and physical stuff um and so yeah I think I understand why people, why some people use a lot of um, the like born this way narrative or, or, you know, of course there's the the Lady Gaga hit. Um, I think ultimately my perspective on that is whatever language that someone needs to use for themselves is fine. Mm -hmm. That's their narrative. I'm not going to try to control how you talk about yourself. Yeah. Um, And, but Uh, I'm really resentful of and critical of the way that cisgender people talk about trans people, trans and non-binary people, and like straight people talk about like queer people or queer and trans people. And, And I would say that for myself and other trans people that when we are talking about anyone else's narrative, or journey that we just are really careful not to project our own experiences onto that or use mm-hmm. language that um, might be like really uncomfortable for or not true for other people. Like we have to be cognizant of that. Yeah, for sure. Um, I wanna like go back cause I'm interested. Um, so you, you mentioned AFAB, AMAB, which is assigned female at birth, assigned male at birth for folks who may not be familiar with that. Um, do you mind sharing um with us like because that this is actually new to me of like that language but like being dangerous and like what language could we be using to make sure we're minimizing harm yeah I'm trying to remember what the exact argument was um I I think so so I was talking to like a slew like a lot of trans people about this and we were like kind of um trying to discuss like why it might be harmful or because because it started because um I had made like a TikTok and 
a teen had commented on it and um and they had said like hey can you please like not use the terms amab and afab and i was like okay and i and i'm very like um very like patient and intentional with responding to people but also especially when they're like young people and teens um and so i was like okay let me like think about this and so i went to twitter and i think i like posted and i just said like a teen on tiktok told me like not to use the terms amab and afab because they just create another binary within the trans community but i also think that it's like important to have a language to talk about like how people are socialized and conditioned and how those experiences and um uh like characteristics or identities um that are imposed on us um like like how those affect us and how those affect people differently in the trans community and god I'm like trying to remember um I'm trying to remember what Alex said but I think that Alex responded to me on Twitter and she said something like they were right. Um, I generally have like a rule of just avoiding that language, either AFAB or AMAB, um, because unless I'm like specifically um, talking about the violent act of gendering someone at birth, um, then saying trans women or feminine people or trans men or mask trans people or, or non-binary trans people um, who others expected to be a girl or a boy is actually more accurate and specific and doesn't reimpose that violence through that language. Um, and, and she also said that, I think she said that like, it can be, um, it can be problematic, which I like to be a little more specific than problematic usually, but usually I, I, I think she said like, it's problematic to, um, to use language or terms and phrases that like lump everyone together of wildly different genders and like, um, gender like variations. Um, because like AMAB can, um, include non-binary people, trans women, cis men, but can also be like used to perpetuate the idea that trans people are always defined by what we were assigned at birth. Mm. Um, and yeah, I like, you know, I don't remember, I think like we, we had like, a, uh, I think maybe we responded to each other like, um, once or twice more. And she said something about like, um, she said something about like how she's also wary of using the term like conditioned as a man, because while she was like expected to be a man as a, uh, as a as a trans woman, she was also socialized as a trans woman. Um, and it is kind of a thing where oftentimes when you come out as queer or especially when you come out as trans, you you go through like a second adolescence. Um, Absolutely. And yeah, and so she just said, you know, my experience is definitely that of a trans woman. Um, and also that I think like she mentioned, she mentioned just like turf narratives um and that turfs use the phrases condition and socialized as to like argue about like male privilege and like stuff like that um 
And yeah, and she's posted a lot about it. I'm trying to remember her, her, her Instagram, I think is the drag therapist and her Twitter is Alex Jenny underscore A L E X J E N N Y underscore. Um, I would definitely recommend following her. She's like brilliant. She's super smart. She always has really insightful things for the articles that I interview her for. Um, and like, yeah, like I said, she's like intimidatingly hot. (laughs) Um, and I think she's great. Um, so yeah. And she just, I mean, you know, and I'm grateful for that conversation. I'm grateful for all of the conversations that I, um, am able to have with trans people online. It's been, you know, life-giving. Um, yeah. Um, that's so, thank you for, for bringing that into the conversation. I, hadn't thought of that and it's I, I had either and I can't believe that I like hadn't but it was really really important yeah I wonder if part of it ooh, my so I'm I started tea in July and so my voice cracks whether I want it to or it's not <laughs> I would love some cute tea <laughs> uh, um I wonder if to like like associating like genitalia with gender is maybe also part of that of the trying to avoid that specific language I don't know I'm just that that came to mind also yeah for sure I mean again when it comes to like um genitalia and like body parts there are intersex people too yeah of course Uh, and and their like genitalia doesn't always um like correlate with their gender that they're signing or whatever yeah um and I, I just think that there's so much nuance and I don't know, like, I just don't really think that it matters what I have in my pants, except like when I'm at the doctor's office and I need healthcare. Totally. Um, yeah. Yeah. I had someone, um, uh, I'm like very, very open about my top surgery journey and my tea journey. Oh, um, so happy for you also. Thanks. Um, oh, there, there it goes again, <laughs> but, um, I had someone uh, uh, leave a voicemail who saw some, oh, um, I forget why she called me, um, but she left a voicemail and was like, I'm so excited that you're on like T, like it started off great. And then was like, and are you going to have bottom surgery? And it was like, it just, it was so entitled and so just like direct that I was like, like, thank God it was a voicemail that I didn't have to like field it in real time. But I would probably like shut down if that happened. <laughs> I like kind of did. I did. Cause it's like, I mean, e- even through a voicemail, I was like, Ugh. and it just, you know, the, cause I, something you said um, of like, when you like sh- the difference between sharing your experiences and parts of yourself with cis people, not all cis people, but also well, like experience. Say, <laughs> there are some people who uh, are cisgender and there, there are cisgender people, and then there are some people who just happen to be cisgender. The same way that I say that there mm. are straight people and some people who just happen to be straight. Yeah, that's nice. I like that. <laughs> yes, um, I use it all the time when describing people. I'll be like, oh yeah, my friend who is cisgender. Or I'll say, oh, this is my cis friend. <laughs> I don't have many of, but I really love just being able to be like, yeah, I don't really understand their gender, but I'll respect it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Flip the narrative on its head. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I I also, uh, so anyways, I just think it's like the, the audacity that people have to, to, 
try to interrogate parts of who we are without like opening a conversation around consent. Like, do you even want to want, can I please ask you a question? It's just like, boom. And it, and it's just, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And honestly, I think a really important point. And especially that you brought in the language of consent because we have such weird binary or like binary thinking in general in our society. And um, it's something that I definitely struggle with also because I'm autistic. And so I'll have very like black and white thinking about things sometimes or like very rigid thinking, but I'm always like trying to get out of that. And I also don't think it's the same as like neurotypical people or like non-autistic people's rigid thinking. But like, we definitely have this narrative of like, um, and now of course I've lost my train of thought. We definitely have this narrative of like, yeah, like either... Wow, completely lost my train of thought. Now cannot think. What was I saying? Uh, we were talking about um, consent and asking questions. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, okay. I like, I have ADHD. So sometimes my thoughts just like, there are a million things happening in my head and it whoosh. Um, That's right. But so, yeah, we have this very like binary view of like, oh, well, consent is about sex. Mm-hmm. And um, it's not, I mean, like it is, it can be for sure. That's a huge yeah. thing. Consent around body stuff, but there's also so much consent around conversation. Um, mm-hmm. and it is like a line that I skirt and, and hover around and like flirt with and cross sometimes on the internet because I talk about very emotional experiences and things that, maybe like, I guess not everyone on Twitter consents to reading about, but then at the same time, I'm like, well, this is my space. I'll put trigger warnings on things that I need to put trigger warnings on. And you're an adult who can mute me or block me if you don't want to see the content I post, but about consent in general, I do think that like, we really think about it as a sexual thing, the sexual thing, or this like body, like physical thing. And it's so important like consent and boundaries are and clear explicit communication are like my things I mean I think they should be everyone's things but like they're really really important to me and I work really hard on them um and and you know always make sure that my friends are working hard on them with me or partners or anything um and like I literally ask consent for like basically everything like I have a friend who um they feel really, they have ADHD too. And they feel really, and like other mental health stuff. And they feel really discombobulated when you like um, drop in a photo into like a text thread or send an article or something. And, um, you know, when I'm talking to people, I kind of always like to let them know hey, if there's anything I say or do that makes you feel uncomfortable, please just like let me know and I'll change it. Which I don't think we say things like that enough to people because we like assume that they know. But the thing is that people have such varied experiences in their lives with abuse and consent and being just like treated well and respected and communicated with that. I know I have a lot of trauma and self-consciousness around people caring enough about my feelings to like not do things that make me uncomfortable 
And so I think it's really important that we like talk about those things. And so like, for example, this friend feels discombobulated if you throw in like different forms of media into a conversation. And so like, I always ask them basically if I'm about to send a, an article or a video or a photo or something, I'll be like, Hey, I want to send this thing. Can I send this thing to you? Like, are you in a space where you can look at this? Does, is this going to feel jarring to you or like make you feel weird? Um, and like, they do the same thing for me or, you know, they never just like ask me a question. They'll be like, Hey Ellie, can I ask you a question about this thing? Do you have the capacity for this thing? Yeah. You know, people have like made fun of this language and these kinds of like prompts um, yeah. and templates on social media. And I understand that in some ways it is kind of weird and does sound like you're being a robot to someone sometimes, but at the same time, like people have trauma, people have real trauma and, and it is also incredibly ableist to, um, to assert that, that there's something inherently ridiculous or silly about templates and prompts and they help a lot of people. And I know that for me, like people reaching out to me and saying, hey, I'm dealing with a really hard thing. Do you have the capacity to like deal with me talking about this hard thing has been really important or asking like you were saying in your example, like I have some questions about gender stuff. Would you mind answering them? Or I'm really confused about top surgery or bottom surgery. Like, would you mind answering these questions? Because that then gives you the space or the person you're asking the space to respond instead of react I think Mm -hmm. I would because sometimes you're really caught off guard by something that someone says and it's jarring and it could have been avoided and I just think that like practicing consent and boundaries and how we talk to each other is just a really caring and loving thing to do and is so simple and takes like hardly any extra time. So that's something that I feel very passionate about. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's so important. And I, um, I, I also try my best to be like, do you have the space to, for me to talk to you about X, Y, and Z? And I feel so much better when someone's like, actually, I can't, I can't hold that right now. And it's like, oh, thank God I asked. Cause like how shitty of it would have been of me to like, dump something on someone who like who's not in the space to hold it for me right now and even though like I think that we all have the capacity to or hopefully do have the capacity to like forgive each other when those types of things happen because it's really human and everyone does it sometimes Mm -hmm. like there are so many tiny microaggressions or like little harms that we do when we aren't more intentional about our language or um or boundaries or consent that you know, I don't know if it's possible to live in a world where we completely eradicate those experiences, but I do think it's possible for us to be a lot more caring in how we talk to each other. That's uh, yes, absolutely. I, um, I want to say like one more thing about consent and then we can, uh, or we can talk about it the rest of the time. Uh, (laughs) but I was, uh, I think also something that I think about a lot is like the idea of enthusiastic consent. It's not, it's not just like, so I have this example of that I still like wake up in sweats about like shame about and I was on a date with this person and we were really heavily drinking and we were flirting and making out and in my mind the like invitation to like have them come home with me and them like 
teasing, flirting back. No, I can't, but maybe um, was like an invitation to like continue the like teasy flirty invitations. Um, And I didn't know that I was actually causing harm in the moment. And so next day they, uh, they, then they, they ghosted me Mm. a few weeks later. I was like, you know, hope you're doing well. I don't know what happened. And they were like, you like really triggered me. And I didn't have the, the, the language to tell you in the moment. And I was like, like, just like a, one final text of like, I'm so sorry. I hurt you. I, if I would have known, of course I would have stopped, but I didn't know. And I hurt you and I'm really sorry. And then never spoke to them again. But like, to me, that was like a highlight of like, they were saying, no, maybe, but like, if, if I wasn't getting an enthusiastic, fuck, yeah, I want to come back home with you, then like, don't tease anymore. And like, that was a really hard lesson for me to learn. And I feel so like, it was just, it, it just reiterates that like, enthusiastic part of like, if it's not a hell yeah, then like, probably back off. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I really appreciate you talking about that for many reasons. One of them is that it's so hard for people to admit when they've done something wrong and most people don't and most people wouldn't and most people would never tell that story because no one wants to be seen as like a quote unquote bad person. But the thing is that like, there's no such thing as bad people and good people. I mean, there are definitely Nazis. There are Nazis. (laughs) And there are like transphobes and turfs and whatever. But I think there are just people who like, are either really intentional or try to be really intentional or don't and are, are working on being better and, and behaving better and doing less harm. And then there are people who are not working on those things. Um, so I think it is really important to talk about when we mess up. Um, and you know, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and then the other thing that I would say about that is that it feels really important to me just because I am a person who, um, has experienced sexual assault and, uh, rape and abuse. And, um, yeah, there have just been a lot of times it took me a long time to come to terms with the fact that the experiences that I had in which I was pressured repeatedly into doing something that I had said no to, or maybe to at first that I clearly was uncomfortable with were also sexual assault, um, or rape in a different way, but still valid and real way than the times when I, someone just literally didn't get consent at all. Um, And I think it's important to talk about that. So yeah, definitely, um, definitely consent is really important and enthusiastic consent is important. Um, And, you know, the last thing I'll say about that is why, I mean, I'm not going to go into that because I was going to say, why would you even like want to do something with someone who's not enthusiastic? But I think that like there can be a lot of misread signals. And then on top of that, um, there's just like a lot of power dynamics in sex. And some people really get off on lack of consent. And some people do that like in um, in like, uh, I can't think of words, but like kink and, and like healthy kind of um intentional ways and some people are literally just rapists um Mm -hmm. but you know I I do for me I'll speak to my experience 
I love enthusiastic consent. It's like the hottest thing ever. I um, feel way better when I know that someone is enthusiastic about me flirting with them or, or kissing them or like whatever it is um, or talking to them about something. Coming back to like just conversations, I would rather someone be super enthusiastic or just even really okay with talking about something instead of even slightly uncomfortable. I mean, you know, there are going to be times where you're uncomfortable um, talking about something or even doing something, you know, maybe there's like a sex act or um, a physical act that you've never done that you're just nervous about and uncomfortable about, but that's a totally different uncomfortable than like, I don't want to be doing this. My nervous system is dysregulated and I feel unsafe. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, for sure. And I, you know, I'm not, I'm not making excuses for myself. I know that I, I caused harm, but like, there was so many like mixed signals at play and like, uh, but ultimately it just comes back to that enthusiastic piece of that's what I should have been paying attention to. Um, and so hopefully people can learn from that mistake because it, that I made, because um, one, it actually has, it helps, it has helped me like talking about it, like get out of that shame spiral of that I am a bad person and versus or, or more just like I made a mistake that caused harm and I uh, took a, account of the, you know, I took responsibility for it and, and, and just trying to do better in all future uh, instances that I, where I can. Yeah. Uh, um, so uh, what I want to like switch gears a little bit um, yeah. and talk about um like media and representation. And um, I want to know if you want to share with us your ring of keys moment. Yes. So I have a few. Um, and I can't believe I forgot about this term initially, because it's just been like so long. And I mean, fortunately, part of it is that I've been saturated with so much other trans and queer content that you just forget some of the first things. But um, yeah, there are a few things for me. Um, I would say one of them was um, Allison Hannigan in Buffy as Willow, like Dark Willow. I was like, I don't know what's happening here, but whatever this is, this is like my gender. I was like little. I don't think I thought of it in those terms, but like that was it. And then there was Kira Knightley in Pirates of the Caribbean dressed like super mask. And I was like, oh, that is me. Like, that's what I want. And mm. then there was Kira Knightley in Bend It Like Beckham. And I was like, also what I want. She's like very like now the term I would use is like dykey kind of. She's just very queer and like more mask. And I was like that. Yes. Um, what else? I feel like there's more. Oh, and then I, I feel like self-conscious and kind of embarrassed talking about this because it's weird because we're friends now. But yeah. um, when I first, <laughs> this feels so strange. I, I don't like it. It's also like a, an uncomfortable, like OCD thing for me, but I also feel like it would be dishonest if I didn't say something. And I also feel like they will be flattered at me saying this. Um, but one of them, the more recent ones that actually helped me come out um, as trans and non-binary myself, like a lot in the last few years was when I saw Theo Germain on The Politician mm. and I had no idea what their gender was based on how they were dressed and like their hair and everything. And I was just like, oh my God, that's my gender. Like whatever mm. this, whatever is happening with this person, they're like super like 
just like themselves, I was like, that's my gender. Um, and I like immediately connected with it. And I was like, you know, I don't think I thought about it like a whole lot, but then every time I would see them, um, in that show, I would just be like, yeah, like that's it. And I think that was one of the things that pushed me, um, to just like start thinking about really coming out because I think that was in like I want to say it was like in fall 2019 when the politician first came out but I can't remember maybe it was like winter 2019 um and yeah that was just like that was you know a few months before I came out publicly um and it was I think part of it was because I like I realized that I wanted to change how I look and I wanted to change the words I use for myself and I I was just so tired of like not being myself on the outside the same way that I knew I was experiencing and do experience life on the inside and I think that's always been an issue for me and it has to do with a lot more than just gender because of like because I'm autistic and um I have a really hard time um, figuring out like the quote unquote right words to explain what's happening inside or what I mean to say in a way that will be interpreted by non-autistic people in the quote unquote right way. Um, but also, yeah, like a huge part of it is gender. And, you know, I just like forced myself into wearing dresses and dressing really like femininely and doing things that I thought a woman was supposed to do not because like I am but just because I didn't know what else to do I guess yeah Um, even though even though like I definitely saw more representations of kind of what I could be I didn't quite put two and two together that like I could do that like Mm -hmm. even with the like like I remember like really loving Keira Knightley in Pirates of the Caribbean when I was little and seeing her dressed as um as as, like a pirate and and more masculine but I didn't put two and two together that like oh I could just like dress more masculine really until later I mean I definitely wore like some quote-unquote tomboyish stuff when I was growing up but I also wore a lot of like really feminine stuff and I didn't like any of it and part of it was just that my mom like liked to dress me up like a doll um I'm estranged from my mom I'm estranged from my parents um but part of it was that I, I, I was like intensely studying people and intensely studying women to try to figure out how I was like supposed to behave. And it was only, um, it was only like, you know, within the last like four years of finally internally being like, okay, I just got to come out. Cause this really isn't working for me anymore that I even realized um, because of seeing other like trans mask people, what I feel inside and 
what I want people to see and what I want to see like in the mirror. Um, and you know, again, it's something that I've been thinking about my entire life. So it's not really new. Like I remember finding the word like agender and genderqueer and non-binary on Tumblr in like 2011 or 2012 and just being like, oh my God. And then I was like, oh shit, there's a word for it. Now I have to like deal with this. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, that would stay dormant for many years still. Um, but yeah, it was really like, I remember in like, um, 2018, for example, there was someone I was dating who's a trans non-binary man, um, or non-binary trans man. And, um, he's still one of my good friends today. Um, he no longer lives in New York, but, um, I just remember like he dressed really mask and I was just like I like that like I want to do that and I just realized that I could Mm -hmm. (laughs) totally yeah Yeah, I I don't know why I didn't before but I realized that I could and I started wearing more suits and more mask stuff and I started getting rid of my dresses and just wearing it less and started experimenting with the way that I did makeup in like a more masculine way Um, And I still really did wear dresses for like a few more years, probably until like last year when I got rid of most of my dresses. I I, I would say that I wear dresses like maybe once a year and they're very specific dresses. And I also like to like queer them a little bit. But I think the thing that makes me uncomfortable, for example, about like wearing dresses is that is not that I don't like them but that other people see it and assume that I am a woman and I yeah. hate that. Mm-hmm. So, but you know, and I, I, um, like I, I think it was in like September or October when of, of this past year of 2020, when I realized that, that what I've been experiencing my entire life is gender dysphoria, which is so funny to me because I literally, I can't emphasize enough I'm a, I'm a journalist and a writer, and I've been writing about these things for years, talking to other trans people and talking to queer people. And I know all of these things concretely, logically about, um, about gender dysphoria and gender euphoria. And I was kind of like, oh, that's so interesting. It's so interesting how it doesn't really apply to me. I don't experience dysphoria. (laughs) And I had this like moment, um, in, like fall of 2020 where I was sitting on my couch and I was really uncomfortable with my clothes and I was not liking how I was looking. And I, I was like, I just want to change everything in my closet. And I was like, Oh my God. I was just like, I had this moment where I was like, Oh my God, it's dysphoria. How did I not like realize this? And I tweeted about it and I was like, so this is what's happening. Um, (laughs) and you know, some of my trans friends, friends responded and they were like, what would be helpful to you right now? And I was like, I don't know. I think I just want to figure out how to like dress in ways that make me feel good and not like, and not bad. And, and my friend, um, my friend, Ollie, uh, who's, who's a trans man, trans non-binary person. Um, they, uh, they like responded to me and, just like responded really sweetly and, and thoughtfully and intentionally with like some examples of like really good, like gender affirming trans mask outfits that I could wear. And in doing that, they like triggered this thing in a good way in my head where I was like, 
oh my gosh, you're totally right. I have all of the clothes that I like need, or at least some of them to dress in the way that I want to. I just have been living in this rigid thinking space, which is partially because of like my autism and probably just like other trauma stuff, just living in this rigid thinking space in my brain of like, these are the clothes I have. This is the way to dress. This is what I'm going to do. And there was something in them like saying that, that triggered this thing in me where I was like, oh, right. Like I actually can just change completely how I'm dressing and dress however I want to, that's comfortable for me. And I'm the kind of person where when I figure something like that out, I kind of just make the change immediately. Mm -hmm. Like I don't go through a process of like figuring out how to do it. I just kind of switch and I'm like, oh, cool. So like the same thing happened with me recently, like within the last year of, I realized I didn't like dating cis people. And so I just stopped dating <laughs> cis people. And mm-hmm. it's been great. Um, you know, T for T is, can be great. But um, yeah, and so I, I just realized that and I started dressing how I wanted to. And I felt so gender euphoric um, <clears throat> for the most part in the last few months. And especially gender euphoric, like, talking with like a lot of trans people and being like affirmed by a lot of other trans people and that's been so nice but um yeah so all that to say like Theo really (laughs) helped me and it's so nice being their friend now and knowing them because they're one of my favorite people they're incredible and um I always feel really embarrassed being like you helped me so much but like I want them to know and um yeah I mean you know, representation is a loaded thing and is definitely not everything and can't, can't do everything, especially like white queer and trans representation is so limited. Um, but you know, as a, as a white person and as a trans mask person, um, yeah, seeing their outfit schemes and the way that they just were, on screen was like this moment for me that clicked that I was like, I don't want anyone to be able to tell my gender from how I <laughs> look. And like, these are the kinds of things that I like want to wear. Um, and it was great and it was really helpful. And um, and now they help me with gender stuff in a different way, just by being a friend. That's so nice. It's nice that you, uh, it's so rare that you get to befriend like those, those beacons of self, you know, and- I did not expect it. <laughs> um, I, the way that I think about it and my friend Caroline Rothstein and I talk about this all the time, which is like, it's like giving consent to yourself of like allowing yourself to like, I thinking about for me, like giving the consent to even think about wanting to do X, Y, or Z to be more affirming for myself. And, um, I think too, sometimes like I'm this, I'm very similar when it comes to like, when I, when I figure something out, I'm like, okay, I'm doing it now. And there's like, not a lot of like decision-making or thinking, but I actually think that that's all kind of going on in the background of like, like the kitchen is still cooking regardless if I'm like in there or not. And, um, I love that that's the way that you put that too, because I don't know if you see my Buffy poster behind. Yeah. So Buffy's like my favorite. I will rant and rave literally forever. I know everything about Buffy. It's really, I won't say it's bad. It's a little embarrassing sometimes. (laughs) But, um, you know, it's been a thing for me my whole life. And um, there's this really great quote from Buffy that reminds me of what you're saying, um, which is she's giving this speech to um, Angel, this like 
demon vampire who is in love with her and he's like trying to sweep her off her feet and like be with her and she says she gives this whole speech about how she's cookie dough and she's not done baking um and at some point maybe she'll be done baking um but for now she's enjoying being cookie dough and she's figuring herself out and like I think about that speech every day of my life like 10 times a day yeah it's powerful um I think because too like we're all you know there's like the narrative of like the like steps you take in life and like those are how everyone should fit into that and it's like well I should have been married by now and I should have purchased a home by now you know like all of these shoulds that were like that are ingrained in us from the beginning because that's like those are the narratives we're taught that's what's in books and movies um and so to allow the spaciousness of remaining cookie dough like for however long you need to be cookie dough is like so empowering like that's fine too yeah absolutely some people love I mean not that it's about other people but some people love just eating raw cookie dough and maybe yeah. you love just like being raw cookie dough um <laughs> yeah. I think that there's a lot of pressure to um I think there's a lot of pressure on kind of both sides in their own respects um and what I mean by that is like I think there's sometimes a lot of pressure to to not be cookie dough and to be baked cookies and to have your life together and have the job that's right for you or the career that's like quote unquote right for you or your thing or have arrived somewhere um or have gotten married or be in a long-term partnership or to just like quote unquote you know like all of the things that we um deem and have internalized that like mean we have our shit together essentially Mm -hmm. um but then on the opposite end there's sometimes this like pressure and toxic positivity around like just being in this liminal space and not having your shit together ever um and so I just think again with binary thinking like it's not good like just realize that your journey is your journey you need to figure stuff out for however long you need to figure stuff out um and like don't push yourself into um like not being ready for something or being ready for something and I guess what I mean by that is just that sometimes we don't make decisions that are right for us or we don't say them out loud or claim something for ourselves not because we don't know it's right for us or haven't decided on it or claimed it internally, but because we are afraid of, or um, like worried about other people's perception. And sometimes we do claim things just because we're so concerned about other people's perception, which comes back to what I was saying about like me not wanting to, or me being afraid to like come out as trans non-binary because I was so scared of other people's perception, even though I literally, I know that I've known my entire life. Like I remember the thoughts that I had. I have my journals from when I was a kid. I remember the thoughts that I had and have about never being comfortable being called a girl and always having all of these like complex thoughts about gender and questions. Um, And then that like come to moment when I was like 14 or 15 or something where I was like, oh, this is the word for it. Okay, well, I'm that. And I'm just going to stuff that somewhere and deal with that in a few years. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And, you know, I've always known these things. And the only reason that I didn't claim it is because I was so terrified of transphobia and I was so terrified of being isolated and different. And I just really didn't want to be different. Um, I just really, I, I had a very isolated life growing up and dealt with like abuse from family and stuff. And I couldn't handle being isolated or weird or bad or different in any way, in any more ways than I already had been. Um, and now I definitely certainly have a very different mindset on that, but, um, all that to say, you know, there are just so many times in life where we make decisions based on like how other people are going to react. And that's definitely valid. It makes total sense in some circumstances. There are definitely times where trans people, especially, especially like black trans people or, um, trans feminine people, um, have to make the decision to not be who they are out loud Mm -hmm. or in plain view because it's not safe. And I think we always need to think about those things, but if it's not a situation like that contextually, like the thing that I would say is just like, and the thing that I wish that I could say to myself when I, I was so scared to come out and, and was just basically hiding from myself in the world for a very long time, much longer than I, I wish I had is like, why are you doing that? You know, not even as an interrogative thing or me like scolding anyone. Why are you doing that? I just think that every person and people who might be afraid to claim an identity or claim who they are, claim a word or anything like that, especially queer and trans people or gender questioning people or whatever it is, whatever part of your identity is, like, why are you doing that? Like, just genuinely think, like, do you know in your gut, do you have that intuition that you know who you are? And if you do, and it's safe for you, why are you doing that? Why are you hiding from yourself? And why are you hiding from the world? And I know it's hard and it's really scary. And I would never force anyone to do anything that really doesn't feel comfortable. But I just think from my perspective, like I know that I've spent so much of my life hiding from myself and hiding from other people. And the the wavelength and the the vibration and the frequency on which I am today like now in general in my life but also like today specifically when I am being absolutely me when I'm like dressed in something that makes me feel really good and I've got like my lipstick on which I really love and I have these like super like mask like gay like sword earrings on and I'm in fishnets and I've had good conversations with people I love that have been very affirming today and like this was a good conversation and I've had good conversations with partners and like all these things that make me feel good and that are validating and affirming of who I am um and I just really like feel myself um I just feel so good and I feel so different and I feel like I'm like existing in the space and in the way that I need to be and want to be and should be. And everybody deserves to feel that way. Yeah. Um, yeah, so absolutely. That was beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Um, 
All right. I don't want to do this because this conversation is so rich and lovely, but I do need to move us into our last segment, um, which is the lightning round of questions, which for the first two seasons were very binary, this or that. And I got called in very lovingly many times of the fact that fact. (laughs) So I have changed them to be more open-ended. So however you want to interpret this first one, and then we'll just go through them. Um, Name your crayon. My, my crayon? Yeah. Oh God. Oh no. Um, oh God, this is so hard. This is such a good <laughs> question. Oh my goodness. Um, uh, you know what? I'm just going to go, I'm going to go with like, I'm going to go with gender fucky. Love it. Perfect. <laughs> Favorite time of day. Oh, great question. Um, Hmm. Some, sometime between 5.30 a.m. and 7 a.m., whenever the sun rises, um, I'm an early riser and uh, I get up early every morning and I make coffee or tea or whatever, sometimes both. And I sit by my windowsill and I write poetry um, or I work on my book or I work on articles or something. And um, I do tarot and I just kind of do my like morning routine and the sun rises and everything is kind of like silent and quiet and I feel like the world is mine and I'm not sharing so much space with so many other people even if I'm just alone in my room so that's my favorite perfect sounds lovely um favorite current queer media representation oh my god oh this is such a hard question I have no idea I can't even like think um oh my god I know there's something. Um, I'm going to say, oh, I feel like this is so like basic or so like uh, cliche, but really one of them um, is Steven Universe. I'm super passionate about um, like cartoons and, and kids stuff. And I love the way that show um explored queerness and, and transness and I just I love that so amazing perfect um a song that makes your heart soar I I have to go with a Carly Rae Jepsen song um <laughs> Carly Rae Jepsen is my favorite and anyone who follows me online knows this and especially anyone who's friends with me or dating me or anything knows this um oh god what song would it be I would say um, it would have to be right now. It changes day to day, but it would be like, I really, really like you or favorite color or uh, want you in my room. Great. Perfect. Um, Favorite way to travel. Ooh. um, I'm going to say walking I really hate flying and I get very carsick and I get very seasick um and I like like biking uh but I would say walking or ice skating figure skating Hmm, nice uh favorite quote wow that's really hard but I think I think that it would have to be Richard Sykin who's like my favorite poet 
or one of my favorite poets. Um, and it's from, I can't remember which poem it's from, but he has two that utilize this line. Um, in, in the first, which is the older poem, it's everyone needs a place. It shouldn't be inside of someone else. And the second poem hmm. that reprises that line is everyone needs a place. It shouldn't be inside of someone else. Or no, 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 everyone needs a place. You need it for the moment you need it. Uh, bless you, soup. Thank you, flashlight. And then you put it away and you move on. Who does this? No one. Um, and it's just, I mean, I love poetry. I am a slot for poetry. Um, and I love Richard Sykin's work and he's queer. I think he's a, he's a gay man. Um, but I just really love those quotes and I love those lines because you know, I'm like big on polyamory and I'm big on like love and friendship and chosen family and everything. Um, and I definitely think that like people are home to me, especially. Um, but I am really super about the understanding that if you make your place in the world inside of someone else, you are somehow in some way, shape or form going to deeply hurt yourself and you need to find, or I need to find at least I'll speak to my experience. I need to find a place. I need to have a place that is for me, um, not inside someone else. Although those spaces can be lovely too. Mm -hmm. Um, and to try to not get so attached to them that it feels like it ruins my entire life. If, that place goes away. So like what he says in the second poem, um, you need it for the moment you need it. And then you, you, you like let it go. And I love that thought because like we just get so attached to things in ways that really harm us. And I think there's a way that, um, that we cannot do that or that I cannot do that that's helpful. Um, and so I just kind of try to greet each place that I have each day or in each moment, like anew. and as this is my thing for this day. And if I don't have it again tomorrow, it will be okay. Yeah, that's beautiful. It reminds me of a quote or poem by, and I, I'm going to try my best to say their name. Um, nay, Ira Wahid, um, yeah, I think it's Nayira Wahid, maybe. Oh, I'm not, great. I'm not, I'm not sure, and I don't want to butcher the name. I, I'm sure we can, like, look it up, but. Yeah, um, which is, so it's, when you meet that person, a person, one of your soulmates, oh. let that connection, relationship, be what it is. Oh. It may be five minutes, five hours, five days, five months, five years, a lifetime, five lifetimes. Let it manifest itself the way it is meant to. It has an organic destiny. This way, if it stays or if it leaves, you will be softer from having been loved this authentically. Souls come into, return, open, and sweep through your life for a myriad of reasons. Let them be, let them be who and what they are meant. I love that a lot. That is one of my favorite um, quotes for sure. And not to add on more poetry, I feel like this is like a, <laughs> like a poetry sandwich now, but that also reminds me of another favorite thing of mine, which is called um, When Love Arrives by uh, Phil Kay and Sarah Kay. 
also one of my favorite poems. I've seen it live many times in the before times, you know, I used to go to their, um, their shows all the time. Um, but it's like this, uh, it's this whole gorgeous poem. Um, I'd love it if people would check it out. It, it's an incredible poem, but the ending is, um, oh God, let me find this. Cause I don't want to, um, I don't want to like butcher it. Let me see if I can find, um, like a text version of it to read, but the ending is love is not who you were expecting. Love is not what you can predict. Maybe love is in New York city already asleep. You are in California, Australia, wide awake. Maybe love is always in the wrong time zone. Maybe love is not ready for you. Maybe you are not ready for love. Maybe love just isn't the marrying type. Maybe the next time you see love is 20 years after the divorce. Love looks older now, but just as beautiful as you remember. Maybe love is only there for a month. Maybe love is there for every firework, every birthday party, every hospital visit. Maybe love stays. Maybe love can't. Maybe love shouldn't. Love arrives exactly when love is supposed to, and love leaves exactly when love must. When love arrives, say, welcome. Make yourself comfortable. If love leaves, ask her to leave the door open behind her. Turn off the music. Listen to the quiet. Whisper, thank you for stopping by. I love it so good Ah, um all right the last question in the lightning round and it is binary because i just have to know bagels or donuts oh no well i definitely know that i'm non-binary because honestly my answer is going to be like a fucking bagel donut Mm, (laughs) subscribe to binaries in any form and uh i i'm not a sweets person actually so normally it would be bagel for me um but I kind of feel like maybe like a bagel with like something slightly sweet. Like I love bagels with like locks and maybe, or like, um, I love like bagels that are like, like a, a blueberry bagel with like some cream cheese or a plain bagel with like a little strawberry cream cheese. Like I like the combination of sweet and savory. So that's how I know I'm definitely trans non-binary. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's perfect. Um, Ellie, this was so great. Thank you for for coming on and for sharing and for also holding space for me to kind of talk about some things. Um, This was just really lovely. Absolutely. I really appreciate this. This was amazing and and just a very very nice way to to spend my time and, and just very affirming. Amazing. I feel the same way. Well, thank you for coming out. Thank you. Thank you for coming out. Hey everyone, it's your host, Dubs Weinblatt. Thank you so much for listening with an open heart and an open mind. If you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast, please do so so you don't miss an episode. And don't forget to rate and review us. It really helps. And we want to hear from you. We want to know your coming out story. Head on over to Thank You For Coming Out's Instagram page, at Thank You For Coming Out, and click the link in our bio. There's a form there where you can submit your coming out story, either anonymously or with your name. And you could have the chance to hear your story read out on the Thank You For Coming Out podcast. We're so happy that you're part of our community, and we want you to know that your story matters. Thank you for coming out.